You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Listen, we're starting a brand new series this month. And with, with so many new people in our church, and our congregation, um, we thought it might be really good to go through our core values. Now, I realize you may think, okay, well, core values, we see them on the wall out there. Okay, Jesus is our message. We got it. But it's so much more than just the wording of the core value. There's stuff that we can take out of it. And, and my hope is not only that you understand the culture of Freedom Church through this, but that you begin to understand how these core values cannot just be something for our church, but be something for your own life and how you can begin to live by these core values. Um, culture is a term we use a lot, and, and we use it to define like a variety of things, maybe people groups, um, institutions, a nation, uh, regions, etc. The, the culture of a region or people group helps you understand how you interact with them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all been in New Orleans? Come on, I know some, we got some people from New Orleans in here. Yo, you don't, you don't go down there to New Orleans acting like you're here. Hey, boy, what are you doing there, fella? You know, it's like a whole different world down there. Like, you better like crawfish. That's all I got to tell you. You know what I'm saying? If you don't like seafood, get out. You know what I'm saying? If you don't like jazz, move it along. We don't want you here. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, there's a culture. Everybody, anybody ever been to Dallas? Like, if you don't bleed Dallas Cowboy blue and silver, like, they're like, who are you even, bro? It's like, I'm sorry, I just don't want to cry all the time. So that's... <laughs> got you, fam. It's like, we've been talking this week about... Oh, that post you put up was hilarious. But, uh, oh, Cowboys fans. Oh, coming to TV screens near you. <laughs> oh, if you're a Cowboys fan, look, I love you. I love you. It is what it is. But y- y'all know it's been a tough 20 years, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Let me just tell you, the head coach of that winning year got a walker now, so that's just throwing that out there to you. Um, Have you ever been to New York? Man, New York is... It's one of my favorite places on earth because I love the hustle and the bustle. Let me tell you, if you ever go to New York, there's one thing you never do in New York. Never do this. Do not stand still on the sidewalk. They will kill you. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing? I'm walking over. You know, like, they'll get the the freak out on you. But um, I took a group of teenagers to Leon, Mexico in 2015. And Nacho Libre had been out for a few years at that point. And um, it was a favorite of our students. And I was adamant, you will not at any point mimic Nacho Libre even for a second. Okay? He's very adamant about that. Now, if you don't know what Nacho Libre is, it's like this slapstick satirical comedy about like Mexican culture, really. It's, it's hilarious. It's done in a way that's funny, but it's, not, it's poking fun, but it's not being mean about it. You understand what I'm saying? But I just didn't want to offend anybody because it's like, I don't want to go down there and go, you know, get that coin out of my face when somebody's trying to, like, I don't want to do that. It's like, it's offensive. And so I told our teenagers, do not, under any circumstance, like, don't run out of a, a, a mission going, he's not the man of God. Don't do it. So halfway through the week, two days later, after we got there, I heard, hey, this food is fantastic. It's the best. And I was like, that's it. That's it. We going back to America, black eyes, shaved head. Like, like it's, it's over with. One of the ladies was like, that's our favorite movie. We had a watch party the next night, and then we spent the next two days going around the city reenacting. In fact, I, I should have brought the video, but I was leaning up against the wall, and one of my friends brought some street corn up, and I went, get that corn out of my face. I don't know why I was tagged as nacho, but I don't, it's kind of messed up as I think about it right now. Like, 
sometimes when you're older, you wear stretcher pants. So, <laughs> by the way, people in Leon, they loved it, so it wasn't offensive. Um, it was hilarious. But culture is, is really interesting, and it does dictate how you interact with a specific group of people. And let me just throw something out there. Just because a culture is different from your culture doesn't mean that theirs is bad and yours is good. Okay, so, so this is, so I have, I have uh, several friends and pastors here in the area that are black pastors, and we've had conversations about how in black culture, it's slightly different from white culture. A black Baptist church and a white Baptist church are very different. I don't know if you've ever known that, but like, white Baptist church, keep your mouth shut, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't you, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's very quiet. Black Baptist church, you finna, you finna have fun, like, it's, it's gonna get wild, you know? That's okay. It's Okay. And that's one of the benefits of having multiple, multiple, multiple churches in a community. Some people say, why don't we need another church? Well, because honestly, if every church in here was full, we couldn't get everybody in the church house anyway. So it's like, yeah, we need more congregations. And you know what? You might like coming to a church like ours that is multicultural. We got white, we got black, we got Hispanic, and I love that. I, that's what heaven's going to look like. And if you don't like that, you'll have a hard time in heaven. I mean, if I was God, I'd post you right up against somebody that ain't your, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like... Say something. Oh, it's another place you can go. Say something. You know, like, but, but it's okay for you to experience a, a different style of ministry and worship and culture. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Uh, but, but culture is, is an organization's beliefs and norms and practices. And those beliefs, norms, and practices are determined by their values. What's important is that a value dictates how you operate. I want you to think about this. Think about your own life and your own house. I can tell what your values are based on how your family acts. Now, some of y'all be like, don't come to my house because like, we're still working on that. God ain't through with us yet. And I hear you. I hear you. But we can determine those things. This is why we're going to spend the next few days, a uh, few weeks talking about core values. The Word of God is first and foremost our, our main focus. But Secondly, our core values are what we see as the most important. They drive our processes, decisions, ministries, systems, and so much more. They define what we do and how we do it at Freedom Church. That's why we have our core values. So our core values are Jesus is our message, okay? People are our priority. Development is our focus. Unity is our pursuit. Team is our structure. Excellence is our standard. And generosity is a privilege. These are the core values of our church, okay? And, and we're going to talk about these core values because there's a lot to what development means. There's a D word in church called discipleship, and that's all underneath the umbrella of development. And generosity doesn't just mean your money. Okay, there's a lot of ways that you can be generous that have nothing to do with dollars and cents. That's just the truth. So we're going to talk through these. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is giving your best. It's not perfection. Now, we're not looking for perfection. What we're looking for is you just one step better than you were yesterday. And so why do we have excellence on the board? Because we want you to be one step better than you were yesterday. And that's when we have development, because we're going to help you get one step better than than you were yesterday. And that's why people are the priority, because you are worth developing. But today, we're going to tackle the first one. Jesus is our message. And if you look at our website, here's what it says on our website. Life begins with Jesus. And if we're going to reach the potential that God placed in us, not only for our purpose, but for our original design, a relationship with God, then it starts with Jesus and being his follower. Your entire life starts with Jesus. In fact, without Jesus, you are not alive. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I'm going to read you a series of scriptures here um, out of Colossians. I'm going to read you from the ESV, and then I'm going to hit it in the, uh, the message. And it's a little lengthy, but I want you to hang with me because this is very, very important, okay? Colossians chapter 1, uh, let's start in 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the first part. Now, let me remind you, you can always go to Version, the little app on your phone, click the three little dots and click events, and you can find our church. You can see all of this stuff right here and read along with me um, if you don't want to look at the screens. So who, who then is Jesus? Well, let's keep reading in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He, the atoms in your body are held together by Jesus Christ. Think about it. Sorry, my iPad wigged up. Uh, and he is the head of the church, uh, the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, in that everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether here on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah right there. That's what Jesus did for you. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, that can be kind of hard to process all of that. So let me give it to you in the message version, which, by the way, remember, the message is just a loose paraphrased translation. It's not something that I would necessarily build my entire theology on. But you've heard a good translation. Now, let me give you a paraphrase of this. It's easier to understand. It says this. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose and everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together. Like a head does a body, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust constantly tuned into the message careful not to be distracted or diverted there is no other message just this one come on somebody man if that doesn't make you just want to get crazy that's 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 powerful that's who this jesus is and jesus for us 
will always be the message. We may change up our methods, but he is still the message. You know, said that we don't chant Gregorian hymns anymore. You know, we don't do that anymore. Well, we don't like some churches might, but we don't do that. Okay, we're not nearly as much liturgical in the modern church where we have these these corporate readings and and prayers that we and chants that we do. We don't preach in the style of John Edwards anymore. You may not know who John Edwards was, but go Google one day sinners in the hands of an angry God and then be glad you live in 2022 and not in 18 whatever it was, because it's terrifying. Fanny Crosby came along and she changed a church music game, baby. Come on, man. Y'all remember the Baptist hymnals? Fanny Crosby wrote all of them. And then Don Moen and Hosanna and Maranatha tapes. Y'all remember that? I was singing them this morning. God will make a way. Like all really cheesy kind of sounds. And uh, Romans 16, 19 says, like, I remember all of them. You know why? Because in the 80s, if you didn't listen to that, you weren't even saved, bro. And then Darlene Zeck. Come on, y'all know that one? Come on, Hillsong, Elevation, Gateway, and Bethel now. It's easy to see the transition of music, but there's been a transition in every season of the church. Did you know that, that, that Sunday school didn't start until the 1790s? Did y'all know that? It coincided with the Industrial Revolution, and kids were working, okay? Little kids were out working in the shops, and the only day they had off was Sunday. So they started getting together and learning how to read on Sundays because if you didn't know how to read, come on, even now today, if you don't know how to read, it's very difficult to survive in culture. And so they were teaching these kids how to read and do all these things. And guess what they were using as the textbook? The Bible. That's why Sunday school started. Peter, Augustine, Cyril, Gregory, Luther, they never went to Sunday school. When culture changes, the church has to adjust to fulfill to just the methods to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why church is different. Now, listen, if you like an older style of church, old school, you know, traditional, God bless you. God bless you. Like, that's awesome. That's just not what we're doing here. OK, but we've we've tried to adjust with the culture. Now, listen, I know there's that fine line. Well, they that, they look more like the world than they do the church. Lights and all this kind of stuff. I hear you. I hear you. And there's some people that, that kind of think and process like that. But, but here's what I want to look at. I don't care about the lights, and I don't care about the smoke, and I don't care about the music, I don't care about the sound. I want to know, are they making an impact in the kingdom there? Yeah. Well, they got a lot of people coming, but they're soft Christianity. Are you seeing people's lives changed? Are people being discipled? Are they being developed? Are souls being saved? And are we getting past salvation and actually into the purpose that God has for you? That's the fruit we're looking for. So be careful that you don't look at the outer shell and judge what's in the heart. Static faith creates sterile experiences. Static faith creates sterile experiences. What I mean, faith that is not moving and adjusting and growing and developing gets you into a place where you get mad when the methods change because you don't like it, because it violates your sterile faith experience. I'm going to be hard on us a little bit because we got to get out of this mindset that says if it ain't done like it has been done, then it ain't going to get done. If that's the case, then no Fanny, no Fanny Crosby, no hymns. Right? If that's the case, why aren't we all at our house right now breaking bread together individually with with small groups? Because that's what the first century church was. There wasn't a building that they went to. So why, why are we doing what we're doing now? Because culture has changed. 
and we don't let culture drive the change, but we also have learned that if we don't adjust how we do the method, we're going to lose people. If you want case in point of that, go to traditional churches right now in the entire United States, and you will find their numbers are tanking like crazy. I'm not knocking a traditional experience, but I'm going to tell you right now that a traditional experience is much more difficult to reach a new, co- a new crowd with it. It's just difficult. It's just difficult. We always want to evaluate our methods to make sure we're doing what we can to move the kingdom. It worked then. It's going to work now. That's a lie. This isn't just true in ministry. It's true in your life as well. What you use to get you where you are now is incapable of getting you to the next level. What you did can only get you where you are, but where you are going requires an adjustment in your methodology. You know, your muscles know this. Go to the gym and do the same workout for six months and watch you and you'll see no change. But you get in there and you get that muscle confused and you're like, oh, oh, snap. Oh, my goodness. Like, OK, this is different. Like your muscles are like, bro, like just last week was doing this. Why are we doing this again? Because I want you to grow a little muscle. <laughs> your company knows this or they should know this. Right. Come on, business owners, talk to me. Have you had to change some of your weight? Like y'all used to just use cash, but now you got to use little card stuff. Why? Because the culture's changed. So we're okay with culture changing in business, but not in the church. What about parenting? Your parenting knows this. Let me ask these five foot three mamas in here. You ever try to spank your six foot son? He ain't four no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't even lift his leg up. You over here trying to hit him with a floss water. What's that? Nothing. Ain't gonna do nothing. Personal experience. I ain't six foot, but in my heart I am. For, for some. <laughs> For some reason, we think that in ministry and in our lives, we can continue doing the same thing with the same results. But growth means stretching beyond what is comfortable so we can do more. That this is why we hate change, y'all. It's more comfortable to be who you've been than to become who you were meant to be. So comfortable, isn't it? Boy, I'm just going to come do the same thing I've been doing. Then look, go ahead. But can I just, with love in my heart, tell you, don't expect anything to change. Expect your finances to stay like they are. Expect your family relationships to stay what they are. Expect your work situation to stay how it is. I know church feels more comfortable when it's what we're used to, but when the methods stay the same. But, but here's the question for you. is this, you're the result of someone adjusting methods to reach you. So are you willing to adjust methods to reach someone else? Freedom Church has a culture that is married to the message, but never the method. So very plainly, you can always count on the message to be Jesus Christ, but you can also count on our methods to adjust to make the message the easiest to receive. Remember, love isn't love until you give it away, and, and the message is worthless if it's never received. We, we have abandoned the notion that we're going to build the silo and yell at the harvest to come do what we're doing. God didn't say, pray for more silos that, that yell at the, the fields to come get in the barn. He said, pray for laborers, people to go out into the field. And I want you to know something. Picking wheat has changed in the last 2,000 years. Church has to change too. So let's talk about why Jesus is our message, because that's really the important thing here. This is more than just because you're a Christian church. And while I pray that you see and embrace Jesus 
the culture here uh, of Freedom Church and how dedicated we are to this message. I also pray that in this that you evaluate your own life and determine whether or not these things are active in your life. We're going to talk about three things today. Number one, <coughs> Jesus is our message because he has always been the message. Revelation 13, 8, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That means that before any human being took their first breath, Jesus had already gone through the process, already died, already been slain. The fact that God the Father was loving God the Son before creation happened is evidence that Jesus was there before the foundation of the world. In fact, the Trinity doesn't work without God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In fact, God doesn't work before that. In fact, so they say Allah is one, right? That's what the Islam faith says, Allah is one. What was he doing before he created the earth then? Was he just floating around in nothingness? If he, if he is love, then what was, he, what was he loving himself? If he was loving himself and perfect to complete in that, why would he need you? But see, God the Father, the true God the Father, has a son named Jesus. And there has been a father-son relationship full of love through the Holy Spirit for the eternity before he ever said, let there be light. And the reason you exist is because your father wanted more sons and daughters to love. The Bible talks about this. There's a scarlet thread. I, I did a dissertation in my first college called the scarlet thread, and it was basically a metaphorical string of sacrifice that runs through the entirety of the Old and New Testament up to the person of Jesus Christ. And, and it's symbology at its finest, and we see it everywhere. And I'm not going to go through every detail, but, but we see it in Adam and Eve. We see it in Abraham, Judah's sons. They specifically say a scarlet thread was tied to one of their wrists. Um, Rahab let down a scarlet rope that said, this is insane. Like, why the scarlet all the time? It's because there is this thread that leads all the way to Jesus. We see big stories, constant stories of, of redemption and salvation and deliverance, the flood, the exodus, the wilderness and the promised land. That's like the wilderness is the life that we live and the promised land is heaven that we're going to get to. And if we'll stay faithful in the wilderness, then we'll get to experience the joy of the promised land and judges and kings and poetic and prophetic books, Isaiah 53, that if you don't cry when you read it, do you even know it, man? It's just so powerful. But they all point to the gospel. And I want to give this to you today. The gospel is this. God created us to be with him. Our sins separate us from God. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. This is the gospel. G-O-S-P-E-L. The message doesn't change. But if you embrace the gospel, your life will change forever. Remember, salvation is not the end zone. It's the line of scrimmage. It's salvation is also not just lost people found, but it's dead people raised to life. Jesus has always been the message. The second part is this. Jesus is our message because he is the focal point of the universe. If you ever see the father in scriptures, you will notice that he's always pointing to his son. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Read what it's saying. The father has said, boy, I love you. Jesus, I love you. In fact, All that I have is yours. King of kings, Lord of lords. Wait, I I thought the father was over the son. Isn't the son always subject to the father? Let me tell you why the son is subject to the father on the earth. It's to teach you authority. 
It's to teach you authority. That's what it's for. It's to teach you authority. That's why there's the subject. And then it's to show you how much the Father loves. Jesus has been given all authority. The Father isn't, any like, isn't like any father that you know. This is not a father who has sons to serve him, but he had a son to redeem us. He has a son that's crowned with glory, who's been given the name above every other name. Think about that. Read between the lines here. You see in the Bible all these names of God the Father, right? Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Imkadesh, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophe, Jehovah, all these Jehovahs. Jesus is above those names. Wait a minute, what? The name that is above every other name. Every time you see the Father in the text, he's always pointing to his boy. He's always pointing to Jesus. Look at how the Bible speaks to Jesus in, revel- in relation to the Father. Matthew 13, 7, or 3, 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Hebrews chapter 1 says this long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. I don't know if you notice this, but in the scripture, you see words like like righteousness and goodness. These are all monikers for Jesus. I'm read you one more. Philippians 2, 5. Through 10, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is this important? When we get to heaven, we're not going to be standing before the judgment seat of the Father. It's the judgment seat of the Lamb. Jesus is coming back on the white horse with the sash that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the one sitting at the seat of honor at the right hand of the Father. God the Father is putting emphasis upon His Son. And so if God the Father, the one who was and is and always has been, if He puts that emphasis on Jesus, why shouldn't we put that emphasis on Jesus as the message? And so what I'm inviting you to do is not only in our church, but in your homes, in your lives, make Jesus the focal point of everything. Got problems in your marriage? Jesus at the center of it all got problems in your church jesus at the center of the church i think there's a song about that jesus at the center of everything he is all creation is pointing to jesus christ he's always been the focus in fact the bible teaches you two things it identifies who jesus is and secondly it teaches us how to understand jesus and prepares us to receive him the entirety of humanity before the cross was about identifying him. The entirety of humanity after the cross was about receiving him, but it's always been Jesus. So the truth is this. We don't have time today to go through every verse in the Bible that references either directly or indirectly Jesus. It's the whole thing. But we've said before, don't read the Bible as a book about you. Read the Bible for what it is, a book about Jesus. The entire thing points to Jesus. 
In the same way, at Freedom Church, we don't ever want the building or the program or the process to become the focal point. It's always been Jesus and it'll always be Jesus. And not just Jesus that saves, but Jesus that loves, Jesus that gives, Jesus that provides, Jesus that protects, Jesus that's leading this church to make the impact He created it to make. So what's the focal point? Humanity restored through Jesus Christ. Imagine that. He isn't the focal point because He's arrogant or because He's greedy or because He's conceited. He's the focal point because it's the only way that you can be restored to His dad. Imagine that. The focal point of the universe, spending his entire life making sure that you get to spend eternity with him. Imagine that, the focal point of the universe, the king of the kingdom, saying, I want you to come share my kingdom and my father with me. That's not how kings act. That's how this king acts. Why? It's because, see, he's got a dad that loves him so much. That has made the world of him. And I think it's important that you sitting here realize that the moment you say yes to Jesus, that just like God the Father looks at his son and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that, that he looks at you, says, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and I'm pleased with you. I know you got things we're working through. I know you got some stuff that you're struggling with. But I'm pleased with you. And I want you in my kingdom. That's who we're talking about. Everything in the universe is focused on Jesus. And that means we are too. In fact, you're never going to find satisfaction in your life until your life is focused on Jesus. Why though? Here's why. Number three. Jesus is our message because life begins with him. Let me give you some verses. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. We know that one. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should, have, should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 6, 35 says, I'm the bread of life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25. I'm the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. See, you were not lost before you met Jesus. You were dead, dead in your sin, dead in your trespass. And what Jesus did for you was not just give you eternal life. He gave you himself. He is eternal life. He is life. Here's the thing that the enemy has really tricked us on. We all are going to live forever. Every one of us. Whether we say yes to Jesus or not, we're going to live forever. We all are. Remember, we're spirits with bodies, not bodies with spirits. But where you spend eternity is what Jesus came to change. So before Jesus, your eternity was hell. Yes, fire. Yes, brimstone. Torment. Pain. But even worse, separation from God. The worst part about hell is not the pain, it's the separation. We currently experience the pain of separation, at least in one form, uh, because because when we're unfulfilled in our lives, that is a the glimpse of the pain of what hell is like. It's separation, but only a glimpse. But we can only experience the ecstasy of heaven and a glimpse of God's love that we've received. And see, one day we're going to see it all with unveiled faces and we're going to experience the totality of the love of God. And you're going to realize you don't know jack about how much God loves you. You don't know anything. You know just like that much about it. So what he actually did 
is to become eternal life for us. First John 5.20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is the only place that we can find life. It's interesting, the Bible says that he was the firstborn among the dead. That's Colossians 1.18 that we read a few minutes ago. How is that possible? Because see, Jesus wasn't the first person to be raised from the dead, according to the Bible. We, we have some Old Testament instances of that. We have some New Testament instances. But let me tell you, Jesus was the first one to ever be raised from spiritual death. He died spiritual death like we Now, he wasn't the first person to die spiritual death. First person to die spiritual death was Adam. The Bible tells us that as sin entered through the world with one man, it's taken out by Jesus Christ. So while Adam and us in turn have all experienced spiritual death, Jesus is the first to experience spiritual resurrection. That's why he's the firstborn among the living. That's why you get to be too. That's what happens with Jesus. Because he was raised, we can be raised. He was the first to be resurrected from spiritual death. That's death to life. And when you say yes to Jesus, that's the same process the bible says in romans 6 4 we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life y'all jesus isn't saving you to give you your go to heaven ticket he sees you dead and it hurts him and he wants you alive that's what it's all about jesus is the only place to find life See, guys, he's always been the message. He's the focal point of the universe. Life begins with him. That's why Jesus is our message. That's, that's why. And let me remind you of one other thing. It, it, it's something I said a minute ago, is that the message means nothing if you don't receive it. Romans 10, 9 and 10 simply says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus is the message, but let me ask you very bluntly, is that message being received in your heart and life today? I realize there may be people in here that have said yes to Jesus, and you've lived for Jesus for years. I got saved when I was five. I'll be 43 in October. That's a lot of years of knowing Jesus. And trust me, I've had my moments of stupidity. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, I would have given up on me a long time ago, y'all. But for some reason, he stuck with me. But I also know that there may be people in here that, that you have lived your life and you've allowed things to come into your life. Maybe things have been done to you that you had no control over and you feel like it scarred you and wounded you and your relationship with God has suffered. And today what you need to do is you need to stop having a relationship based on what you've experienced in the past, but step into newness of life that he's offering you today. Maybe you need to be resurrected. Maybe that's what it is. So what I'd ask you to do in this moment is if you just bow your heads and I ask you to do this just so you can not focus on the people around you and focus on Jesus. Let him be the focal point of eternity in your heart and life right now. Jesus doesn't make it difficult. So whether you're doing this for the first time or you are rededicating and renewing your commitment to him, simply say this. You don't have to yell it across the room, but let air come out of your mouth. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I believe you died for me. 
I believe you rose again so I could have life. I embrace your life now, Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, church, if you mean that, God means it. And there are no hoops to jump through. You get to experience the resurrection and the life that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what God's offering, and that's what I'm offering you right now. Thank you for it, Father. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, God, that you made a way for us. I can laugh and joke about Don Moen's song, but God, you made a way when there was no way. You are the one that died. You are the one that rose again. And because you died and rose again, I can have life. Life I didn't deserve. I can have it because of you. And so, God, I don't want to let that life go to waste. I don't want to receive your life and then not live it to the full. So I'm asking you right now, in the name of Jesus, as Jesus, you are the message. Holy Spirit, empower us right now. Come on, church, I can't pray this one for you. Empower us right now, in the name of Jesus, to do everything, Jesus, that you saved us for. Everything that you gave us life for. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.